Uh, John chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I have a lot. You guys probably do too. But it is one of my favorites. I love the story of the Samaritan woman. And uh, I love the gospel as it's set forth in John 3 and John 4. I've told people for years, if you can learn John 3 and John 4, you can preach to religious people or people that are like not religious at all and are just in the world because John 4 addresses people that are not really that religious and, and, and are in their, you know, just kind of the sins that we would recognize on an outward uh, perspective. And then John 3 about Nicodemus is someone who's really religious and doesn't matter if they're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Jewish or even uh, a Protestant that's not really born again. All of those uh, things would apply to Nicodemus, trying to do the right thing but really not redeemed. And then you have the Samaritan woman who doesn't appear to be uh, religious at all. Might know some stuff, just like your average American, they know a lot. Oh, yeah, I've heard, uh, I've heard John 3.16, I've seen it on the TV when I'm watching football, but they, but they don't really live in any way a religious life, and they need Jesus, and they're still just kind of trying to find fulfillment living for the weekend, you know, that philosophy. So both these are found in John 3 and John 4, um, and we're looking at John 4. So uh, picking it up with uh, John chapter 4, verse 3, if you have your Bibles, open them up. John 4, starting with verse 3. He, being Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, it's under, understand that in those days, the Jews did not like the Samaritans, the Samaritans did not like the Jews, and you had a racial or ethnic divide. They did not like each other. Sound familiar? Uh, so it's some of the things that we have today. And, I, and by the way, I don't think that that's the general thing with most Americans. I think we still have people sowing division and we still have people that really are, uh, you know, race, racist or prejudiced and things. That, absolutely, that will exist because there's sin. But in this time, it was the understanding. And the disciples were like, why would Jesus go through Samaria? We do not talk to those people. But Jesus said he needed to go through. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Hey, that's about next week's message. How about that? Yeah, Jacob and Joseph mentioned right here. Uh, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, about uh, uh, right in the middle of the day, noon, 12 noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. You know, first of all, I'm a woman, and we're a lower class. So why are you talking to me? And secondly, I'm a Samaritan. We don't communicate with each other. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. None. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask of you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Isn't that great? Woman said, "Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. And when do, when uh, when do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and his sons and his livestock?" Jesus answered and said to her, "Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give will never thirst. But the water I give shall become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life." The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may thirst, not thirst 
they may not thirst, nor come here to draw, Jesus said to her, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now, in other words, you're living with, is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. By the way, Jesus was not afraid to confront sin. If you have people today say, yeah, don't you judge me. Don't say anything. Because Jesus confronted sin. But he loves sinners. Amen? As we'll see here. Uh, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's got that right. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to him, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what, uh, for we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. She didn't know a lot about the faith, but she knew a few things. She goes, I know that Messiah is coming, the Christ, the anointed one, the descendant of David that would bring redemption. She said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You can see like just power emanating from, like almost would blow her back like Jesus did in the garden when the guards fell back, and she's, he's like, I am he. He's like, what are the chances? I go to the well in the middle of the day, just a normal day. I'm just going to get some water, and I meet this one man, and there's no one there but me and him. What are the chances that I go, and it happens to be the Messiah of the world? Well, I don't have time to read the rest, but what happens is um, when the disciples come, they are perplexed that he's talking to this woman. Uh, they say, do you, want us to get, do you want us to get you some food? He says, I have food you don't know of. And they're like, did he sneak away and get food? He was talking about spiritual food, the will of the Father. But then Jesus says in verse 34, drop down. I want to just kind of uh, finish this out, and then we'll jump into uh, the rest of it. Jesus said to them, my food, verse 34, is talking to the disciples that they don't understand what has transpired while they were gone is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say that there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, now he's teaching disciples. He just was bringing someone to him. Now he's instructing someone who's already in him. Every Sunday when I teach, I'm teaching to people online that don't know Jesus yet. They're the woman at the well. And I'm teaching people who already do know Jesus, the disciples. And we split the message, and we hope the Holy Spirit, well, we pray the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit will distribute to each one as they need. If you don't know Christ, he's drawing you. If you do know Christ, he is directing you. And he says to them, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. It was out of season, but Jesus said it's not out of season in a spiritual sense. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that they both... He who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true. One sows and the other reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have not entered into their labors. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because 
of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Goes on in verse 41, and many more believe because of his own words than they said of the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus saves one, then saves many, while teaching the already saved to save more. Only Jesus takes one arrow, hits one bullseye, and a lot of targets are hit at the same time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you sent your only begotten Son one chapter earlier, John chapter 3. But Lord, you came to a city that was divided and you brought salvation, reconciliation, healing. You brought Jews and Samaritans together. You brought a woman out of a life of misery into saving faith. And you taught the disciples that this is the work that they must now do to go plant and to reap and to harvest what you have already prepared. May you prepare our hearts this morning to receive a harvest this morning and the months and days ahead. And if anyone doesn't know you watching online in this room, today is their day to meet the Messiah and receive living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here in John chapter 4, the salvation that started with one soul went on to result in many more coming to Christ. Would you guys agree with that? A whole city was impacted. Whatever Christ does in us graciously, understand, is entirely for us. Whatever he's done for you personally is entirely for you personally, but not only for you personally. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Jesus always loves the one, but he's looking beyond the one to the many. He always loves the one. He wanted to reach that one woman, but he also wanted to reach all of Samaria. One chapter prior in John chapter 3, Jesus said, God so loved the world. He said that, uh, he said that talking to a man personally, he was talking one-on-one to Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Same passage, Jesus said that unless a person is born again, one chapter earlier, John chapter 3, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, salvation and eternity with God the Father is predicated on a, understand that this is always the case, born again is a supernatural change in work of God. It's not a religious exercise. It's the spirit of living God coming inside of us. It's God alone that gives life for our first birth. I was born February 1st, 1969. Guess how much I had to do with that choice? Zero. I didn't choose to be white. I didn't choose to be born in Annapolis. I didn't choose to be five foot nine because I wanted to be six foot four, by the way. So I played basketball and I told God, if you would have made me six four, can you imagine what I could have done for you? You know, that kind of thing. But it didn't happen that way. And only God can give us our second birth. Amen? Only God can give us our second birth. The soul that's born anew by the Spirit. 25 years ago this week, actually this past Thursday, God by His grace did this for me and my wife. Some of you, I thank you for the notes that you sent us this week. It was great. Uh, we, 25 years ago on Thursday, 
we came to know Jesus. Same day, we respond to the same message called by the same spirit, but born again individually. She had to make her choice. I had to make my choice, although we were there coming to the same cross. And what God did in us was an eternal work. We were sealed for eternity by the Holy Spirit. But it was a starting point that for our lifetime would be a reference point. Does that make sense? It was a starting point that for our lifetime would be a reference point to grow from, to grow from and refer back to. Paul would talk about his testimony three full times in the book of Acts. He retold it. The word that encapsulates all this is that word testimony. If you've heard testimony. It's testifying not just what Jesus did in us in saving us, but what he's still doing in us and by the Spirit of God doing in us. If you're born again, you too have a testimony. But it's not to be a story just of our conversion, but also a story of our commission. Amen? Imagine if you get hired by a company. All you talk about is the day you got hired. You don't do anything. Guess how long you'll be there. You just tell everybody about the... Well, actually, don't tell anybody. You just celebrate it personally, actually. Because testimony, problem is people don't even tell their testimony. So you don't even tell about the day you got hired at such and so company. You just talk about it to yourself. Say, it's so awesome I got hired there. I'm not going to even tell anybody. And I'm not going to do anything either. But I got hired there, and it was amazing. I remember it all the time, and I think about it. And your employer says, see ya. We can find other people with that story that will actually do something post that. Imagine if the apostles and all the saints in the Bible's testimony was just simply that. Jesus saved us, and that was it. That was it. That was that. After that, we just went home. We never said much about it. Kind of like we just put it in the memory bank, read the scriptures sometimes, once a week, we went to synagogue, gathering other Christians or so, but never thought much about or shared what Jesus had done for us. That would be not much of a testimony, would it? The woman at the well, she gets saved and immediately starts telling people what Jesus had done for her. The impact of the gospel, if the disciples and the apostles had done that, the impact would have fizzled out pretty quickly. Wouldn't you agree? If they said, no, we, we received it but we're just kind of done. No, the gospel was to change lives and then to resend those changed lives to a lost and dying world. The Spirit used Philip to reach who? The Ethiopian eunuch. Guess where he went? Back to Ethiopia and brought the gospel to the continent of Africa. Philip took it over to India. These men were saved not just for them personally, but equally to take it beyond the borders to somewhere else. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's going to require going and speaking. Now, of course, if you don't live for Christ, when you go to speak it, you're not going to be much of a witness. I've, I've had people, I've told you, I'll never forget, I was in the office one day and I, someone had said, some, one of my colleagues was... Uh, church going, but really not. I didn't see any evidence of being born again. I didn't see uh, a life that had been transformed. And 
he was heading out to something church-related, and they're making him a deacon. My unsafe coworkers said, time out, time out. Tim, we can see. You, we cannot see. They were unsafe people said that. So if you, you know, they just were like, oh, no, that doesn't make any sense. So the world is watching. So you have to have a visible testimony, but then you still have to speak it like the woman at the well. You still have to say something to go along with that. Yes, our everyday lives can and should be a witness, but our prayers and our feet and our mouth will require intentional faith. Our prayers, our feet, and our mouth. If you're taking notes this morning, eyes open and reaching out, salvation should continue to impact others. And I believe that Jesus would have come. Let me go back one for a second. I believe Jesus would have come to teach and to die and rise from the dead, even if it was just for me personally or if it was for you personally. You, get, you guys believe that? I believe it would have come just for us. But of course, it wasn't just us. We're not the only ones. And he places his light, the light of the world, in us to be a light. He places his light in us to be a light. Matthew 5.14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I don't feel much like a light. Do you? But Jesus says we are. And so I just take him by faith. I say, all right, Lord, if I am a light, I'm like a little tiny spark. But, Lord, just magnify it. It's like they, the, the uh, soldiers in Vietnam said it would be so dark in the jungles that you could see a cigarette, but just the tip of it. And that's not much light, but in darkness it does shine. And Jesus said, I've set you in darkness to shine. We talked about this quite a bit in our discipleship series to start 2020. The fact is, Jesus does not need us or our personal testimonies to reach the world. Did you know that? He does not need you or me to reach the world. He doesn't need our personal testimony. But, even though he doesn't need it, it's his will and it's part of his redemptive plan to use it. It's his discretion. He says, do I need your testimony? No. Am I demanding to use it? Yes. It would be like a five-star general saying, do I really need this uh, colonel? No. I could find another, but I'm demanding to use you anyway. Right? That's what God does. He says, I don't really need you, but I've loved you, i bought you, and I'm sending you. So we're looking back a few minutes here to appreciate saving grace, but also with our neighbor's in mind. Let's take a look at just a couple things this morning. First, I want to focus on he finds us. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus went specifically to Sychar, this city of Samaria. Remember the Jews, as I said, they looked down on the Samaritans. And generally speaking, the Jews and Samaritans, again, they avoided each other. But Jesus goes there on purpose, with a purpose. Mankind's disdain for one another and prejudice has no bearing on God's love for human souls. He ignores what man thinks of each other. In 2 Peter 3.9, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'll be sharing more about this Wednesday on the will of God in Colossians chapter 1. But Jesus headed straight for Samaria to find and to save those we now know, uh, that we now know was the woman at the well. 
And if you've come to Christ, you've done so because he first came to you. Amen? He first came to you. Let's stop and pray again. We're going to stop and pray again. Why? Because I believe God is speaking to somebody. I believe God wants somebody to get saved today. I believe he's speaking to you to come and be a disciple. And I, I pray, but we're going to pray again. Lord, we just stop and we ask again for your spirit. Lord, I need to be taught. I need to be strengthened by your spirit to give a message, Lord, that would reach someone that needs to come today to you or needs to surrender all to you. Lord, we all need you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask you would just remove the enemy from any distractions in this room, any person that's distracted, anyone online that would be distracted that would hear from you. We call upon the name of the Lord to, to anoint this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God put on my heart a few weeks back, said, I'm going to have you more often stop and pray in the middle of services, so just get used to it. So, um, <laughs> No, he, he told me uh, in the, by the Spirit, said, you're, you're going to really learn that it's all about my Spirit speaking to people. It's not even how much I prepared. It's not, did I study hard enough? He's like, yeah, you're going to have to do that anyway. But that's not it. The Scripture expressly tells us in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who is Jesus seeking? The lost. Who is the lost? Every single soul. And everyone on earth, that would include you and me, and everyone who is yet to be born again. Every soul. And that was the Samaritan woman in the heat of the day in Samaria two millennia ago, and that was me and my wife two and a half decades ago on a June hot summer day in Fort Lauderdale. June 11th, this uh, past Thursday, was the 25 years to the day. Really, it was our entire lifetime, but there was an intensified search on behalf of God towards us for about two to three years before we were born again. There were also a whole lot of detour schemes by Satan to keep us from hearing the voice of Jesus. We know that Satan had tried to deceive this woman of Samaria. Would you agree that Satan had tried to deceive her, keep her out of the kingdom? But Jesus cuts through all the busyness. He cuts through all the baggage, the big plans, the burdens that come in our life and are in our life, and he comes and he calls us by name, by name. The woman at the well, she wasn't looking for Jesus. She was looking for water. She found that she needed what? Living water. She found she needed a real face-to-face -face with Jesus, the Messiah. Now, me and my wife, we weren't looking for Jesus either. We were looking for fun. We were looking for success. We were looking for really good weekends, great weekends, more fun weekends than the previous weekend. Every weekend was supposed to be better than all other weekends. In fact, we had closed down a bar at around 2 a.m. on the beach in Fort Lauderdale called The Parrot with friends the night before. The night before we had our own face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, we were at a watering hole, not a well, <laughs> the night before. 
I woke up, about, uh, woke up about five hours after finally getting to bed. Last night I didn't sleep good either. I, my leg was killing me after biking. and So, so the Lord says, I'm going to redo the night for you. But it, instead of being hungover, I was just, uh, just aching. I was like, what? I rode too long and did this or whatever. But that following morning after we closed down the bar, I literally picked my newlywed wife up out of the bed. Literally, she can tell you. I lifted her up, I was stronger back then, and uh, put her on the ground. (laughs) Headache and all. We both were like, oh, we feel horrible. I now know it was essentially the Holy Spirit was carrying us both. Because I I didn't even, why do I even, what's stirring me to go? We had been going on, on and off to Calvary, Fort Lauderdale here and there, and we would get convicted and then not go for a long time. You guys know what that's like. It was this tug of war between Satan and God. God is going to win. But John 6, tells us this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We had to be drawn to the Lord. God had to draw us personally to him. We were drawn. The woman from Samaria, she was drawn to the well. Who do you think got her to the well at 12 noon that day? With no one else there. This is not a coincidence. She comes to the well, just her and Jesus. God was drawing her to that moment, to that specific place and time. Paul was drawn to Damascus, wasn't he? He even thought his, he thought his reason for going to Damascus was to persecute. God said, Haha, your reason for Damascus is to get saved. I thought our reason to go to the bar was to enjoy the weekend. I said, Good, no, no. That's not why. It's for you could see within about eight hours the difference between the world and me. That you could see side by side the world's water and living water. But once we got there to that church that morning, and we were a good 20 minutes late, weren't we? Which is not unusual in South Florida. Everything kind of runs behind. But we were about 20 minutes late, and we had a decision to be made. Next point, if you're taking notes, God not only, not only he finds us, he redeems us. I've seen many people walk through these doors, the doors of our church, front door, through the fellowship hall, into the sanctuary. And even people I've spoken to one-on-one over the years, that I knew God was drawing them. I knew it. I could see it in their spirit. But they weren't willing to repent and turn to Christ. Many of them have left these doors they moved to other states. They might live in Midlothian. They might live in Richmond. And they've still yet to repent. And I could tell God was drawing them. You could see that they were so close. Jesus said to that man one time, he goes, you are so close to the kingdom. And I could see people were so close. But I don't know what they were holding on to. A relationship, a promotion, something that just, ah, if I, if I give in to God, it's going to make my life miserable. I don't know what they're holding on to, but... I see it, I would see it in their face. I say, man, you're exchanging this dusty world and an eternity in hell for Jesus? But I would see it. You can't convince a person. They have to make that decision. And I was in the same boat for years, and people were praying for me. Thank you. Those of you that are praying for prodigals, those of you who are praying for unsafe family, keep praying. People were praying for me. Remember, my dad called me one time in Miami. I've said it many times. He found a church. said, there's no Christians here. I really meant that. Because where I was going, you could not find them. 
<laughs> so that's like a thief that couldn't find the cop. You know, it's just. Um, <laughs> but I've seen people spoken to, but they just hadn't been willing. Jesus said, even to religious people. In John chapter 5, verse 40, he was speaking to religious people. Look, at the, look what he says here. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He said that to religious leaders. But he would say the same thing to someone who is deep in some, what we would call the big sins, or someone who is rather moral, but not born again. They still sit on the throne of their own heart. Jesus said, you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. But the woman at the well whose life was a mess, I think we'd all agree with that. Her life was a mess. She couldn't even go out with the other women. The normal time for women was not that time of day. She couldn't go out with the other women. She was kind of an outcast. Oh, you're, you're the one that's been with all kinds of men and all those stuff. She was looked down. And by the way, if you feel looked down, Jesus is not looking down on you. He's the one person that will look past all of your failures and say, I actually will make you well. And I'll love you in spite if everybody else is making fun of you or you, you don't feel welcome, that's not God. That's, that's how mankind is. Matter of fact, the reason why people bully other people and look down is to make themselves feel good, and they're not good. But Jesus looked past all that. Her life was a mess. And after a lifetime of sin and of pain and of failure, and I'm sure she was abused along the way and all these things, she recognized that it was God who was offering her real water, real life, real forgiveness. And she saw it. She saw it. You can imagine if when we see Jesus, we'll just, he wouldn't even have to speak. We'll see it in his eyes. All right? We'll just see it in his eyes. Even, even Pilate, Jesus didn't say a word, and Pilate could say, just looking in his eyes, this man is holy. Not from here. Something different. But she saw that Jesus was the one that was willing to give her all that. And we saw the same thing. Me and wife, we saw the same thing that June morning. Arriving that solid 20 minutes late, we pull into a parking lot. And Calvary Fort Lauderdale is huge. It's, you know, a couple thousand people at each service. And we arrive 20 minutes late, and I drive my car right up to the front, and there's a parking space right at the front door. Not a, not a handicapped space, a parking space right at the front door. 20 minutes late, there should not be any spaces. I mean, they're taking people in golf carts from three parking lots away up to the building. But I stroll up there like we own the place, and there's a, there's a space right there. And then, we, you know, some of you have heard this, so sorry if you've got to hear it again. But, uh, but those of you who haven't, we change our mind. I change my mind. I'm like, I don't want to stay. I am not sitting in the overflow room. This is before YouTube and you know, Vimeo and streaming. If you were late, you sat in the overflow room. And there was a screen, and it was grainy. And it, this was in the 90s, so there was not, you know, it was not like high definition or anything like that. <laughs> you were in the overflow room, and we didn't want to be in the overflow room. And I'm like, I am not sitting in the overflow room with this hangover or whatever else. So I'm about to back up, but Pastor Stefan, the assistant pastor's golf cart is blocking my backing up. <laughs> hey, you, you motioned to us. I rolled down the window. And go, uh, where are you folks going? I said, well... We were going to come in the service. We're really late, but I'm not sitting in the overflow room, so we're going to go to IHOP and eat pancakes instead. <laughs> Literally, that's what we were going to do because there's an IHOP nearby, and I'm like, I'm hungry. I'll go eat pancakes. 
but I'm not sitting in the overflow room. Instead of like saying, this cocky guy, he, he's gracious with me. He goes, you're not sitting in the overflow, overflow room. I'll get the ushers. You're getting a great seat. <laughs> so they did. They, they brought us in, and we got like eight rows from the front. Um, gives us seats about eight to ten rows from the front. Aisle seats even. So um, puts us right on the aisle. And it's all right. None of this is dawning on me that parking space shouldn't really be there. This guy shouldn't really block me from getting to IHOP. Shouldn't be two seats. There's never two seats left at that time. It was like so totally packed. Uh, but then we sit down, and the message was from Revelation chapter 3. I would that you were hot or cold, but that you're lukewarm. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation 3. That's not a really warm and fuzzy verse, by the way, uh, when you hear that. And it was all about being on the fence. God would either have you be ice cold or blazing hot, but the fact that you're just riding the fence, God says, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm no more going to accept you riding the fence than if you're ice cold. The Holy Spirit made it clear that we had been brought to a valley of decision. The woman at the well had been brought to what? A valley of decision. Nicodemus had been brought to what? A valley of decision. Paul had been brought to what? On the road to Damascus. A valley of decision. By the end, I personally felt, and I'll know when I get to heaven, that the Spirit seemed to be telling me on June 11th, 1995, this is your final opportunity. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'm just saying that's the impression I kept getting that God was saying, you, you have no guarantees when you get outside this building that I-95, you're not broadsided by an 18-wheeler or next time you go surfing or something that uh, you hit your head and never get come up out of the water or whatever. There was all kinds of different things. So I, I just had this feeling a sense from the Lord that said, this is it for you. That was the sense that I was getting. But we were, in that, uh, we were there in that valley of decision. Uh, we knew the gospel. We knew the gospel was true. By the way, a lot of Americans know the gospel, and they know it's true, and they still are rejecting it. Did you know that? Some of your next-door neighbors, you would be surprised. They've actually been to church and didn't tell you before. They've heard the whole gospel They've heard Billy Graham or something online, and they heard it, and they still have resisted. But we knew it was true, but at that time, we were still dead in our sins. We were still resisting the Lord. And I was under heavy conviction at that point, at the end of that service, under heavy conviction to throw myself on the grace and mercy of Jesus. You know, Hebrews 3.15, it says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. I love this passage. I read it this week, and and you guys might have... Uh, last week when you were reading through John, but Jesus says in John 7, 6, but your time is always ready. Your time is always ready. He was saying that to religious leaders that were still hard in their heart. Now, we knew what God was telling us. I I didn't know what God was speaking to my wife. I knew what I was hearing from the Spirit that today, don't put this off. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. This is going to be your last opportunity. I've given you the gospel, and God's saying many, many times, and you've said no a bunch of times. What would we choose? We could put it off, but we, we could risk never, never having our hearts that soft again. Would they ever be that soft again? Or what if God called our number? Or what if it was my last week on earth? And then I started thinking about this kind of stuff. What will my friends think? Because we had a lot of friends. You guys remember the show Melrose Place in the 90s? That was our apartment complex. It was a lot of fun 
Sin is fun for a season, by the way. Um, and what will our friends think? What will my life be like? I, could I even live a Christian life? Could I even live for Christ? Is that even possible for me? And by the way, as I was having this internal battle, I had no idea. My wife sitting right beside me. She's having the same exact battle. And so when the call was given, I wrestled another 30 to 45 seconds. When other people streamed forward, I'm still wrestling with it all. Another 35, 40 seconds before I finally said, I don't care. I'm not fighting this anymore. I do not care. I need to be forgiven. I need salvation. I need to get rid of this guilt. I need to be saved. I, I don't care what it costs. I couldn't care less what my friends think after this. I'm just going forward. And I turned to my wife. I said, I'm going up. And she surprises me to my joy and simultaneous surprise. And yet I wasn't surprised. She says, I am too. You ever have those moments where you're both surprised and not surprised at the same time? Simultaneously, surprised and not surprised. She says, I am too. And by the time I hit that altar, I was overwhelmed. The sin and the guilt and the resistance toward God just starts falling off. You can't describe it if you've never been born again. You can't describe it to people saying, well, I, I'm glad you had a religious experience. Experience? I've never been the same since. It wasn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like the time I went to, first time I went to a Capitals game and as a kid or a hockey game or something like that. No, no, it has a lifetime change. And it's only something the Spirit of God can do. And I close my eyes to pray. And then right there, uh, we both experienced, before we knew of it, but we experienced God's amazing grace. That makes sense? We knew about grace. Now we experience God's amazing grace. Lots of unsaved musicians have sung that song. You've seen people in the Grammys who you're pretty sure, well, I've seen this person live day. I'm pretty sure that amazing grace is not their normal song. A lot of musicians have sung amazing grace, but they've never been born again. And you can tell they've never experienced amazing grace. That's why to them it's just kind of, oh, it's a really spiritual gospel song. But if you've experienced saving grace, you actually really uh, are in tune with why John Newton wrote the words because you can, you can say, wow, that's my story too. And it's not just, song, it's not just a song that um, you sing. You actually live amazing grace. Oh, and I'll find out in heaven, uh, but our sinner's prayer was perhaps really when we got up out of our seat and moved. Because well, yeah, God says that salvation is to confess with your mouth and what believe in your heart. Once the heart gave in, I'm kind of like talking on my way up. And that day of salvation was a glorious day. But it was also the first day of the rest of our life and all of eternity. We had no idea uh, what the next day or the next decade or the next now two and a half decades God had a plan. I had no idea I'd be called in the ministry. I had other plans. I was, my wife was finishing up her master's degree. I was working, as I mentioned, on my third major. She was a little more focused than me at that time. Uh, but, uh, you know, we had other plans. But God had his own plan. And we come to a close with this last, last uh, insider uh, point, if you will. Uh, he sends us and, thank God he does this, he reminds us. You guys need reminders from God throughout the week? I do. 
I'm a really dumb, slow learner. I hear, I, I hear things that I know, and God's like, how did you forget this eight hours later or eight days later? So God reminds us. But in John 15, 16, Jesus said this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. God wants you all to be fruit-bearing trees. He wants me to be a fruit-bearing tree. And our fruit, well, you know, will be specific to what God's calling you in life. Apple tree, orange tree, banana tree, mango tree. Uh, again, we have different gifts, different talents, different, you know, just responsibilities within the body of Christ. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. Uh, and by the way, many times I've said, I, Lord, I would ra- ra- gladly give my calling to somebody else and let me take their calling in kind of lay ministry. And God said, no, no, this is the deal. Your tree bears this fruit. Their tree bears this fruit. But Jesus, but the point is, we did not choose Jesus from the outset. He came and found us. Amen? Yes. He came and found us. He said, I chose you. And at, I said at the outset, our salvation is entirely for us, but it's not only about us. We lived in Fort Lauderdale, in, in, in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. We lived there seven years uh, through college and with uh, my wife uh, pursuing master's degree and all that stuff. So we lived there seven years, and there's a lot of orange trees in Florida. You guys ever been to Florida and you've ridden past the orange groves? If you're even down to Orlando, you'll see a lot of them. Uh, and when they blossom, they first blossom with these white flowers. They're called orange blossoms. Bees love them because they, they, they have a lot of nectar in them, and, and they, they, they get honey out of them. Uh, they're very beautiful white flowers, and then the bees pollinate them, and then uh, those turn into fresh Florida oranges. Uh, and when you, but when you plant a tree, and a lot of people have uh, citrus plants, orange plants, uh, in their backyard. My uh, wife's parents uh, live in central Florida, and they have like a citrus plant that her dad planted in the backyard. But when people plant an orange tree, uh, their intent is not just to celebrate the day they planted it, right? When they plant an orange tree, they really hope that they get oranges from it and blossoms that are on it, and it, and it produces this. And, and if it never grows an inch and it uh, never bears fruit or dies really quickly, they don't say, hey, no big deal. The only reason we planted it was just to plant it. We don't care if it bears anything. We just want to celebrate the planting of it. No, we expect it to take root. We expect it to grow fruit. Jesus says, I, pointed, I planted you to bear fruit. Jesus expects the same in purchasing our souls when he plants us into the kingdom and God's work. And one of the first things he calls us to do, and one of the first buds of our salvation, is just to tell other people what God did for us. That's what the woman in the well did. That's what Paul immediately did. That's what the demoniac immediately did. Right? We can go through, wow, these people get saved. The first thing to do is say, i got to go tell somebody what God has done for me. That's what they did. Uh, they, uh, they become known as a witness. She was a witness to Samaria. I don't have a whole lot of answers, but I started telling my friends what Christ did for me. They weren't as thrilled as me about what God had done for me because they still were holding on to the things that I was holding on to. So they weren't quite as thrilled. They were like, eh, that's great for you. My wife and me, we started telling our family, they weren't as thrilled. But the, some family were praying, some were you know, not saved either, so the ones that weren't saved weren't really 
all that excited either. But it was all just a start. If we were a single orange tree 25 years ago, today our home is like a little orange grove. We have three daughters, you know, we, um, we have a church that we minister in. Now we've got a little orange grove. I mean, it started out with one tree. But by the way, even if you plant an orange tree, if you never plant another one, they'll actually plant themselves when they fall off and they rot and the seeds get in the ground. They actually amazingly can plant themselves because it's just like with anything else. It's, it's the work of God. And God and all of the um, planting, you know, God started it. And the watering comes from God. And everything that God does in us and through us, um, we still can lose focus. How about you? We can still lose focus at times. We can lose focus and we can forget that God wants to do in others what he did in us. I don't preach this message. I mean, I go verse by verse the Bible. We'll be back in Hebrews. But God said, no, no, on your 25th anniversary, I want you to retell at least a portion of the story to remind you that this is why God, what he planted in you, he wants to replant other people. We can forget it. Frankly, I need to retell my testimony more often, uh, not just here in this building, but out, outside these four walls as Jesus returned is near. Look one more time, and we'll come to a close here. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples in, in verse uh, 34 here, in th verse 35. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white to harvest. The disciples needed to be reminded too. I mean, they were walking with Jesus. You think they would never forget why they were saved in the first place, but even walking beside Jesus, and you might be walking with Jesus all this week and still forget to look up and look at the harvest that's out there. So can I. Amen? We can forget that. And so he reminds us, he says, no, 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 you've got to understand, I've saved you that you would actually be part of this larger harvest. The apostles were walking with Jesus, and yet they still needed to be reminded. They were then, and we are now, needing of reminders by the Lord. That's why we have to read the Word. That's why the Spirit has to speak to us daily. As we come to a close, uh, there's two primary things the Holy Spirit wants to do. Just remember this. There's two primary things the Holy Spirit wants to do. Number one, he wants to save who's lost. And if you're lost and you're watching online or you're here, he's already seeking you right now. He's been seeking you your whole life. And when you get saved, you'll remember places, wow, how did I miss that? It's only after you're saved you'll remember back all the times that God had sought you and you were close but turned away at the last second. If you're online or here, I promise you, he wants to save who's lost. And if you're already saved, guess what he wants to do? He wants to resend you or recommission you. That's it. Either wants to save you or resend you. I'm 51 years old. He wants to keep resending me until the battery runs dead. Or unless Jesus comes back, that would be better, right? Right. So get down to like uh, uh, my battery's down to 20%, and then I'm talking about my body. And then he comes back. Either save us or resend us. That's it. That's what Jesus wants to do. If Jesus has opened your eyes, let's lift up our eyes and let's see what he sees. I need to see what he sees, not what I want to see, but what he sees. And take his gospel of grace to those that are still in darkness. That's what our country needs right now. 
It's the same as I needed in Fort Lauderdale 25 years ago. It's the same Richmond and Minneapolis and Seattle and New York. They need the same thing. Those young people that sometimes maybe you're saying, how are they, how are they this messed up? Or how's it? They're just lost. They're just in darkness. Same as I was. And by the way, uh, you know, as a teenager, I loved destroying things when I, before I got saved. I, I understood. I understand it just was like something you want to do, you know. And then you get saved, and God says, I'm going to channel that energy to go plant for the kingdom. Amen? That's what God wants to do. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we, we thank you, Jesus, as you said. You came to seek and save that which was lost. We did not choose you. You chose us. Uh, you found us. You gave us enough light to come to the gospel. And Lord, I'm so grateful that even when I was dead in my trespasses and my wife as well, Lord, that you uh, even opened our eyes. We clearly were not looking for you the night before, and you drew us to yourself. But, Lord, you gave enough truth and enough of an impetus of your spirit for us to wisely say yes to forgiveness, yes to you as the Lord of our life, yes to eternal life, yes to living water. And Lord, I know that there's somebody either watching online or maybe in this room that they know the gospel, but they've not been changed by the gospel. They know who you are, but they've not come to know you as Lord and Savior. Uh, and Lord, whoever that is, maybe more than one person, Lord, I pray that uh, you are speaking to them right now not to put it off. They're not guaranteed next week either. Or next year. Lord, it's appointed in a man once to die and after this the judgment, your word says. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to any person. And Lord, by love, like you did with the Samaritan woman, you were there to redeem her life from ruins. And Lord, if we don't come to you, we certainly will come into ruin, either now or eternity or both. And so Lord, I pray that it's your spirit that is speaking to someone or several someone, Lord, they would come to know you. And Lord, the rest of us, if we know you, we would be resent. Thank you for grace, Lord. We might have failed you a lot lately, and yet you still love us, you clean us up, and you resend us. So, Lord, I pray you're speaking by your spirit. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment. Um, I'm speaking to you if you're online. I can't see you, but God can see you. We've had people get on their knees in their living room watching online, and praise God. And we've had them reach out and tell me, I got saved watching online. Maybe that's somebody. Or maybe you're here. If you're here, I had, to, I had to walk forward in an aisle. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you know about the gospel. You said, I've never really repented. I've never really given in my life. I've never really surrendered. I want you to stand right where you're at. Just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. I got to that place. My heart was pounding out of my chest. God says, you, you got to like not care about that. They are not going to be standing before you in judgment day. It's only going to be Jesus that will answer to. Anyone at all say, I want to give my heart to Christ today. Don't put it off. Jesus said, your time is always ready. But that doesn't mean like always you'll have the time. It means at any moment that God's calling you, it's time. Today is the day of salvation. Anyone at all. I'm, just, I'm positive God's speaking to somebody. I just don't know who. Amen. Yes. We 
have one. There's, I guarantee there's others. Uh, um, I told my wife earlier in the week, I said, I said, somebody's going to get saved this Sunday. I just know it. <clears throat> I didn't know why. I just knew it. She goes, well, then you can expect a lot of warfare this week. I said, thanks for the encouragement. Um, no, but it, it's true. It's worth it. Your warfare will be worth it, parents, if you're praying and interceding for a prodigal. It'll be worth it. Anyone else? A couple weeks after we got saved at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, we were just like, every worship song would make tears come down our eyes. We were just, every time we'd go to church, we were just like so excited to go. And, and you believers that are saved now, and you're no longer excited to go to church, God wants to change that in you too, by the way. It's not just about the unsaved people. Jesus wants to recultivate your orange tree so it starts to rebud again. The bees have something to find and the flowers and, you know, that, that, that you're giving off the fragrance of Christ. But we were really touched. A couple weeks later, we were there and another altar call came. And we were like, like fans at a game. Every time the altar call was coming, like, we couldn't wait to see who would go forward and, you know, the whole church would clap and everything else. And, and it, this altar call was given and it was almost over. And young, a guy way in the back said, wait for me. And everybody just lost it. I mean, people are like tears coming down. But uh, that's God. He is waiting for you. Amen. Anyone else? Before we come to a close. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul than all the biggest business deals or anything you can think of or one soul. I'm going to pray with this one. And, I, and maybe there's someone online and... If there's anyone else, while I start to pray, you can say to God, wait for me and pop up and join. It's not too late. Don't resist. Satan is, if you are feeling led right now by the Lord to stand up, the only person telling you not to stand up is Satan. Everyone in this room is praying for you. Satan's acting against you. Satan wants you to live eternity in hell. Anyone else, I'm going to start praying. Stand and join if you've got Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, just pray along. Anyone online and this one who has stood, Lord Jesus, thank you for calling me by name. Thank you for speaking to me by your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and living and dying for my sins. Thank you that you rose from the grave. I believe in the name of Jesus as the only way, truth, and life for my salvation. Lord, I'm putting my full faith and trust in you. Cleanse me from my sins. Wash me by the blood of the Lamb. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. For I have decided this very day, this Sunday, June the 14th, to follow you, Jesus, for the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And now save me to send me. For you died for me personally, but not for me only. 